0: This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is sponsored by Sidekick by HubSpot. It is a really cool tool that gives you live notifications when somebody opens and clicks on your email. Uh, It works with Gmail, Apple Mail, Outlook. It's really a great way to know if somebody has opened, is engaging, certainly that they've received it. It's a great way to also know maybe it's time to check back in with them. Uh, It is really a great tool. I use it every day. If you want to get it and get a free month, go to getsidekick.com slash duct tape and you'll get your first month of Sidekick for free. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz and my guest today is Tony krebby He is a Business psychologist. I think the first business psychologist I've had on the show. He's also the author of a book called "Busy: How to Thrive in a World of Too Much." So, Tony, thanks for joining me.
1: It's a real pleasure, John.
0: So, Tony tells us, uh, tells me at least when we were talking off air that he's on a boat. So maybe we'll hear some uh, some strange noises uh, in in the recording, uh, but uh, hopefully it'll it'll go swimmingly. How's that for? <laughs>
1: yes. Yeah. Did that translate? we'll, hopefully Did... we get, we'll get immersed in the topic.
0: <laughs> All right. There you go. All right. <laughs> so um, let me ask you this question first. Are we really busier than ever? Um, or is it just, it seems that way?
1: Well, you know, so, so there was an interesting study that showed that since 1986, the amount of information we consume has increased sixfold. Yeah. So That's quite a big increase. Um, at the same time, what they found is that the amount of content that people produced on average has increased 200 times. So I mean, that's a massive increase in, in just sheer productivity and the amount of stuff that we're doing. Now obviously that's helped by technology. Yeah. But I think part of, part of the impact is we feel busy. So there was, interesting, there was an interesting piece of research recently that they questioned, are we so busy? I think the Bureau of Labor Statistics found that you know, people are still sleeping quite a lot. People are still, I think the average American works around, you were saying it's 42 hours, which doesn't sound so horrific. I think what I think it's more, there's lots of ways, you know, the way statistics work, you can slice and dice any way you want. But I think the, the overwhelming response is we feel a lot busier. And I think that's because technology allows work allows distractions to invade every moment of our our existence and therefore the experience of never switching off means that we feel exhausted, we feel stretched, and we feel a bit distracted all the time.
0: Yeah, and, and and you see it all, I mean you you don't have to, you know, go out to a restaurant or something and look around and, you know, half the people will be on their phones and doing things, you know, while they're while they're eating or just anytime there's a delay in, you know, something somebody's going to be doing, you know, we pull out these devices. So so is it a pressure to you know, to feel busy that uh, um, that this technology, and I, I, I do want to specifically f- focus on technology, but it, there does seem to almost be stress around, I need to be doing something.
1: Well, you know, you know what, and it's so interesting. I mean, it was interesting. There was, there was a study in Essex University that found that just the act of putting your phone on the table makes people like you less. Mm. And I think because they realize you're going to be slightly distracted. Yeah, right. The, there was that super research done by Timothy Wilson where he found that when people were given the choice to be either un- unactive and effectively just sitting there doing nothing, or administer themselves electric shocks <laughs> that they previously decided were fairly unpleasant, they would choose the electric shock just for the stimulation. So there's, there's a, the, we've heard a lot about the kind of the dopamine and the. Um, you know, the chemical side of the addiction for technology that we get little dopamine squirts every time we we hear an email come through. But at the same time, there's, there's a massive behavioral addiction. I mean, the question I often ask people is, how long does it take for you to reach for your first shot of email this morning? And, you know, most of us, we have, per, you know, for years, we have perfectly good alarm clocks, and for some reason, most of us sleep with phones by our beds, which seems seems curious. So I think there's there's a behavioral addiction, there's a chemical I and mean, then there's also we allow expectations of being always available to be to exist both in our work environments and our private environments, mm. and and so you know we all had the email. Did you get? Did you read my email yet? <laughs> and and it, so it's it's crazy that I mean, for me, email is a wonderful thing in that it allows me to receive messages that are sent at the time of that person's choosing, and for me to look at it at the time of my choosing. And therefore, avoid being distracted right but but actually, too many of us see it as real time communication, which is just not using not using the real gift that that particular technology has given us yeah. for uh beneficially
0: so so with this technology though um, and and combining that with the the you know always on kind of uh i, I mean are we getting more done? are we more productive
1: well so um, to the point I made earlier, um, we are doing more stuff. Unquestionably, we are doing more stuff. Now, my my argument comes that actually the last thing we need, we need is more. I think yeah. all of us, if you think about how much communication we receive each day, how many messages, how many adverts we receive um, or we, we encounter, we are completely bombarded. And one of the things I, I talk a lot about is, that the greatest shortage these days isn't time. We've overfocused on time as being the thing that we need to manage and squeeze every ounce of. Actually, our shortage isn't time. Our shortage is attention, and both the, our attention personally um, and the attention of the people who are making judgments about us, uh, whether that's consumers or whether that's other people in our organization. And the fact is, if everyone's completely overloaded, um, the last thing we need to do, We we, we could feel very happy about just churning out more stuff as we're all doing because we can do it because we can do it um without thought but actually what we're doing by churning out more stuff we're thinking less um we're being less creative we're, we're solving fewer problems we're um and we're just getting caught up in this kind of treadmill of reactivity um and the end result is we the work we do just gets drowned out because it's just but well, it's just sort of low-level production, as opposed to stuff that's going to cut through the noise. Yeah, so, so I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the work I do, whether it's with leaders or individuals, is just say, look, actually, you know what? What you what you need to be really mindful of is how do you do less but better and more interestingly.
0: Yeah, and there's an entire industry on time management. You know, everybody's been you know subjected to one system or another that you know that that really focuses on managing the the ten. 12 hours or whatever it is that you're going to be up and, and productive. And, and you really, I wouldn't say you you run completely counter to that, but you almost su- suggest that that's part of the problem.
1: Well, I actually think it is part of the problem. Yeah. The um So yes, yeah, so, so I think that the, the belief we have and, and time management, look, time management has served us very well since the industrial revolution. It was a great tool at the time when people had come off the fields and, you know, to to get more done, we needed to get people just to do more stuff and to punch more widgets or whatever the case may be. Now, we we continue doing it, and we tell ourselves that somehow, if we could only get on top of it all through better organisation and time management, we'd feel better. But that isn't that just clearly isn't true. What happens is, when we, you know, some research shows that when you look at a clock, you actually get more done. But so. You know, one of the things that happens if we try and squeeze more things in is we do get more. done. But the consequence of that is we therefore become busier because we're squeezing more stuff into our time. We think somehow that managing our time is going to make us more effective. Now, the research shows that actually, again, a focus on time means we become our decision making gets narrower. So we make the choices for the immediate and the urgent over sitting back and actually looking at the bigger picture about what's the more important thing. So we end up kind of doing the stuff that's shouting in front of us, like the email or whatever, as opposed to the more strategic, important stuff. And the other thing is, quite frankly, one of the biggest things that people struggle with these days is just a scattered um, attention. Uh, Bridget Schultz talk, talks about um, time confetti, this experience of just your attention being split and and. Uh, into loads of different pieces, and, and you know, the term is psychic, psychic entropy in terms of the feeling of, of your time being distracted. It's deeply unpleasant. And, um, and, and if you think about all of the stuff that all the times when you've either been most effective, you've achieved the most, or you've been happiest, it's always been when you've sunk your attention with, you know, with... Uh, you know, deeply into the particular thing that you're doing as opposed to trying to squeeze through lots of stuff. And I think the focus on time drives us towards doing more rather than focusing on the big stuff better.
0: Yeah. So when you work with, uh, say, an executive uh, a business owner at, and, and they're in that kind of treadmill, you know, getting it done, working on their checklist, you know, always busy. I mean, how do you start breaking them down to, to look at things differently? How do you get them to start changing habits?
1: Well, I get them first of all to start thinking about their attention and managing attention rather than time, and what does that mean? And, uh, and so I get them thinking about so simple things that tend to work. I mean, Brian Tracy came up with an idea of eat that frog years ago, which was just this practice of the first thing you do in the morning, you know, not switching off on your phone or your um, or going into your voicemail before you've actually attacked the biggest, scariest task you've got on your your radar that day, and which which actually. That's a habit that's incredibly easy to build, and it's quite sticky, um, Because, but, and why, why it really works is you can actually – the nice thing about busyness, the nice amount of furious activity and, and getting stuck in your inbox is actually it feels it, – it's, it's much easier to do than doing the big stuff that's going to take a lot of thinking. So actually, in a funny way, this kind of busy world of activity is a form of procrastination because actually what we're, <laughs> what we're not doing is the important stuff.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so one of the things, I get them to think about how they can create habits that allow them to make better choices and focus on fewer things. I mean, another simple thing is I get people to throw away the to-do list because actually, if you think about it, the very active to-do list and it feels good to, scr- to, to cross off those items. But actually do I need my to-do list to remind me that I want to write that book um, or, or whatever that big project is that you've got on your thing? You don't put those things. The only things we put on our to-do list are the simple things, the silly things that aren't that important. Therefore, we might forget them. And but this sense of satisfaction that we allow ourselves to feel for clearing a to-do list is is actually the wrong feeling. What I, Having said that, there's a lot of good psychology that says getting stuff out of your brain and dumping them somewhere is helpful to clear the brain. So I would get so I, I get people to think about a kind of a, a bucket list or a dumping stall, which might be the phone, might be a book, where any random thoughts, ideas, tasks, projects that occur to them, they just stick there to get out, out of the brain. But with no no sense of I should do all those or therefore I haven't been productive. It's more about when, I, when I'm in those moments where I'm looking for something to do that I think will be a good time to do something, I'll look at that list and make a choice. And and therefore the focus stays on the one, two, or three things that are most important. I mean, there is a sorry, go on. Well, I was just going to say.
0: I mean, I you know, I think I think most people get that. You know, I think if you sat down with somebody and got them to think, they they would agree with that. I don't think anybody would debate that. uh, That that yes, we should only have a couple priorities, and that's what we should be working on. But then I think most people would say, but how? I mean, because you know, I've also got this boss or this. Uh, This client or this, you know, that's saying, I want you to do A, B, C, D, E and F for me as well. Um, So, I mean, how do you how do you get that space to, you know, to work on the priorities?
1: Yeah. Um, Well, the the starting point is not waiting for that space to appear. So the. Stephen Covey used to have this thing about the, the rocks and the pebbles and the and the, mm-hmm. the sand where he'd put rocks in first, then pebbles, and then sand, and then he'd kick them out and he put sand in first, then pebbles, and there wouldn't be any space left for the rocks. Um, so part of it is we actually just need to change our our, our playlist and start with the, you know, the, the things that are important, do first, and, and then create space later on for those. People sometimes say to me they feel this... T- terrific kind of catastrophic fear that what could happen if I don't, if I'm not on top of my email all the time. Yes. And the, the reality is, look, none of us are 100% always on the email. You know, No matter how busy we feel, there are times when, for whatever reason, we are not answering email because we're in a, a crucial meeting, because we're in whatever. So it, it's a fallacy to say we have to be on email all the time. And it might be that even if you're in a, a, a relatively reactive role, you could still probably say, right, for the next half hour, I'm going to focus on on something important before I then go into my email and, and do that. Um, and it's just, and there's the a sense that um, that work fills you a lot of time. So if you if you actually just it, it, if you go into the stuff first that's less important, the day will just disappear, and therefore, um, and therefore it's not helpful. And, and there are a lot of tactics around how you do that, bearing in mind kind of cognitive biases, et cetera. But a lot of it comes down to when you really boil it down, it comes to we need to make, be much more brutal in our prioritization. We need to choose what's important. And let's face it, you know, we all have bosses asking us to do stuff. And let's face it, there will always be the senior manager that comes to us and says, you have to do this right now, drop everything. And that's fine. But that's not the situation I find in most most people's, People's life, that that everything is absolutely reactive. There are always some choices we make. um, And it's just about saying, what can I do so I shift the attention that I'm spending? And it might just be a 3% shift or a 4% shift, but I spend a little bit more time a week on the really important stuff that's going to make, that I believe is going to make a bigger difference to my organization. Because fundamentally, um, if we allow our time and attention to be Dissipated on stuff that really is just reactive and, and responding to the Uber Uber communication in organisations, and therefore we don't make an impact. Then it's only us that will ultimately pay the price for that because our you know we'll end up becoming a bit of a commodity player as opposed to someone that stands out in our organisation.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think it's
1: interesting. My, my Microsoft has, uh, over the last couple of years have changed. I'm not necessarily holding Microsoft out as, as the as the perfect you know exam, exemplars of this, but. But they've changed the whole way they do performance management now from fundamentally focused on how, how many things you get done to the impact that you have in the business. And um, and that seems a thoroughly sensible approach now. And I think that if we can shift our attention even just a little to how do I make an impact, how do I really achieve the things that I know will make a difference to this business or to my life, and it's you know, it may only be a small shift, but it all starts building on um, when When you start making the progress, you start finding um, finding possibilities
0: so um, let's talk a little bit about social media, the role that that has certainly played in the last few years. Uh, because I, I think uh, many have uh, certainly uh, come to realize that uh, that's certainly a place of, of being busy or seeming busy or even seeming like you're engaged or seeming like you're uh, building relationships. And you know, I wonder if uh, if if your view is that uh, that is probably one of the greatest um, sort of attention wasters there is.
1: Yeah, I mean. I'm split on all this stuff in that I am a big fan of technology. So so something i sounded in the book that I'm a bit anti-technology or whatever. I'm not, I, I love I'm at I'm a huge fan of Twitter as it turns out, so, but I don't think I necessarily use it in the way most people use it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, um, the There's some interesting research that shows that actually time spent on Facebook, for example, people think it's going to make them happier. Um, people think they're going to enjoy it. And actually the, the, when they come off the Facebook, they actually feel more depressed.
0: Yeah, cause, um, cause everybody's so, on there talking about their incredible job and incredible vacation, and
1: <laughs> it, it, yeah. So, so it kind of makes you, you, you see that, and you think, "Oh, bloody what i doing? I'm wasting my life." Um or, <laughs> right. or, um or even just the fact that you think you sort of know, "Oh, I've just wasted my last hour," mm-hmm. you know, and and so there's so social media has. You know, there there is something that social media offers in terms of staying in touch with long lost school friends. I mean, who hasn't felt the thrill of reconnecting with someone who, you know, you were friends with 25 years ago or 20 years ago, and it's just great to make contact with them again. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's much easier to do it by um, social media rather than actually having to make a phone call with them because what would you say anyway? Um, but um, so th- so there's there's some loveliness that comes from social media, but I think it comes down to is the social media ruling your time and splitting your attention? Um, or is it, is it something that actually is, is, is something that you dip into at times, but actually at the, at the key moments you're present? Because the research shows that actually all of the importance, even when it comes to relationships, people say, yeah, it's good for relationships, but, but actually all the juice in life and all the, all the psychological benefits when it comes to longevity, health, happiness, of relationships come from the fifteen people that are closest to you, as opposed to the five hundred Facebook friends. Yeah. So do Facebook by all means. Make, make you know have contact. You know, do do Twitter. Do whatever. But don't let it interfere with your ability to produce, um, your ability to be really focused on the moment, um, and the stuff that's going to make a difference in you, your relationships or your or your family. So so yeah. So good in small
0: doses yeah and i think a lot of people as you said um use it as a replacement for you know actual connection and i think there will always be always be a place for you know real human connection but but in some ways because we're all in this same busy (laughs) um i think it actually takes more effort than it used to 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 remain connected would you say that that's true
1: just to maintain that there was um Sherry Turkle did some lovely work called Alone Together, which was all about mm-hmm. how we're actually spending as much time with many of the people that are important to us as we ever have, but we're often alone in the same room with them. So we're, we're in different environments. We're talking to different people rather than connecting to the people that are immediately in front of us. There was, there was some other research around the loneliness that, that looked at, does, does social media make you lonely? Um, because there's a consistent finding that, that people that use social media a lot tend to be lonelier um but what they, what they tended to find is lonely people tend to rely on 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 facebook so the, the heaviest users of Facebook tend to be lonelier before you before they even start but i think there's there's a the nature of relationships is relationships are messy and are tricky and are awkward um, and the the danger is when we when we spend too much of our time in a world where if someone says the wrong thing we can unlike them and not have to deal with any of the consequences um we we turn relationships into transactions, and we we take out all the all the juice that comes from it. So, so, yeah. So I think it's good to to maintain those relationships, but let's not get carried away with them, and let's not make it into a burden that then takes time away from our proper relationships because that's the important thing.
0: So, uh, Tony, if people wanted to find out more about the book itself and or about your work, uh, is there a place you would send them?
1: Well, the website is tonycrab So T O N Y C R A double it's available on on amazon.com under under my name author of grand central publishing on their website it'll be listed so there, there will be the natural places it's we've got a kindle version we've got an audio book, we've got the whole the whole package great
0: talking to tony crab uh, author of busy how to thrive in a world of too much so uh, tony uh, i think i'm just going to go take a nap yeah thanks john all right it's good having you
1: (laughs) and yeah thank you for your time